0: I feel like we would all make for very good hobbits, and that's a compliment, that's definitely a compliment, yeah. because they are fascinated with things that grow.
1: Do you feel like this book as well, taking into account that the learning outside is still learning, that this is quite a cross-curricular curriculum? Yeah, Ooh,
2: I like that. <laughs> slick. I think that's where I like to see things going for our older students, is to be able to engage with those larger conversations, but also be able to apply them on a local level.
1: Hello, and welcome to Earthy Chats, where we're cross pollinating ideas in environmental education. We're here to share with you the best environmental education resources from across Canada and chat with their creators, digging in as to why they do this work, how they do it, and what you can do with it. I'm one of your hosts, Jade Harvey Beryl. I'm the Wild Voices Program Manager for the Columbia Basin Environmental Education Network, or CBean for short a member of Canada's non-profit outdoor learning store team, an owner of Stoked On Science, an education company and consultancy where I deliver and design environmental and science programs for K to adult
0: across BC. And I'm another one of your hosts, Ian Shanahan, the general editor of Green Teacher, a global network of environmental educators that produces a quarterly magazine, books, webinars, and the podcast, Talking with Green Teachers. Let's get started.
1: I would hope that this book
2: isn't just like, oh, we have a, a garden teacher or we have a garden program or somebody wants to teach gardening. I mean, I would love, you know, here it is, like, great. That's why it's there. But I would also love for a math teacher or an English teacher to be like, you know, I want to try something because it's that creativity. It's that storytelling that happens between the activity and the connection. Like, That's, I just think that's a beautiful opportunity. And a lot of teachers are very exhausted.
1: Welcome to this episode of Earthy Chats, where we're cross-pollinating enviro-ed ideas. Uh, and our wonderful guest that we're incredibly proud to welcome uh, for this episode is Casey Ray Christopher. She's an outdoor and garden educator whose passion is fostering a healthy land ethic, personal empowerment, and environmental literacy in children of all ages. She does this through outdoor immersion and skill building she was previously the school garden coordinator for the Springwater environmental sciences school and the outdoor educator for era and she lives in sisters oregon Uh, her book which we're going to be discussing today the school garden curriculum aims to sow the seeds of science and wonder and inspire the next generation of earth stewards the school garden curriculum offers a unique and comprehensive framework enabling students to grow their knowledge throughout the school year and build on it from kindergarten to eighth grade From seasonal garden activities to inquiry projects and science skill building, children will develop organic gardening solutions, a positive land ethic, systems thinking, and instincts for ecological stewardship. Welcome to the podcast, Casey Ray. Thank
2: you so much. Happy to
1: be here. Oh, fantastic. We're very pleased to have you.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Okay. My first sort of point to begin is, did you grow up with a fantastic garden then? You know, is this where this has all come from? Essentially, yeah.
2: I was so fortunate to have a beautiful garden to grow up in and still return home to. My parents have, it's not a large plot of land, but they've what they've done with it is pretty incredible. And so I grew up, I think my first memories were having my feet in the warm soil, helping my mom plant pea seeds, you know, petting bumblebees and, you know, so many of those summers my mom would just, she'd be like, I'm not feeding you. Like go outside. Like there is a garden to feed you, like go eat. And so (laughs) my siblings and I would just get bowls of cucumbers and peas and that would be our dinners and lunches and um, spent a lot of time foraging for for food out there. So yeah, it was a lovely, beautiful gift.
1: That's lovely. And I guess that's sort of answers my next sort of point, which is when you first fell in love with gardening, like that happened and then when did it turn from being just feeding yourself and activities to to a learning tool
2: yeah Yeah, that's such a wonderful question because i think i took it for granted when i was a child you know it was there and it was it was lovely and it was a part of my home life and but i didn't really understand the value of it until i think i was an adult and feeding myself and realizing the gift that was given of all of this fresh food
1: yeah absolutely the cost of living when you actually realize that we used to have this incredible pear guard pear tree that would just hang over our garden it was right above where the the outdoor table was and we would like pick the pears off and eat them and now i think like how expensive pears are and how much i loved poached pear tart and (laughs) how (laughs) like what a gift what a a bounty um so you've been gardening then effectively since you could walk yes yeah and you know reading the book it talks so much of this is not just like growing stuff it's science so are you a scientist informally or formally
2: i want to say i'm just a really big fan of science
1: Hmm. i like that yeah i just
2: Mm. i i love it i feel like i have the mindset of a scientist i don't have the credentials of one but i have the mindset and the love of it I want to say citizen science but then you kind of get into this like citizen aspect but i think like just having the the perspective of a scientist like wonder curiosity asking questions and a willingness to experiment i have all of that and in certain parts of my life there's definitely parts of my life where i could really you know learn from that (laughs) but i have those elements of, of a scientist and yeah there's just there's so much out there to learn so why not
1: Absolutely. And I love this with my kids. I tell them anyone is a scientist. We're all scientists. As long as you're paying attention, as long as you're noticing things, that's what they do. They notice things and then sort of maybe sort of wonder a bit and make a question or a hypothesis and think about it. Mm -hmm. I do think there's been, you know, that people think that being a scientist is, you know, so esoteric and elitist, (laughs) but actually (laughs) picking those peas. Ah, which side of the plant has more peas on, you know, like, is there a reason for that? Does Mm -hmm. this grow better here? Like it's, it's all, it's all science.
2: It is. Yeah. And you know, even now, um, as an adult, there's this, or especially as an adult, there's like, well, is this right or is this wrong? You know, is, is this gardening technique the right way to do it in, I'm in the high desert and very limited growing season. And so is this the right way to plant something? Is this the wrong way to plant something to get what I want? Whereas the better question is like, what happens when, this and what mm. happens with this, and then yeah. let's compare the experiences. And there's just so much more engagement and curiosity and wonder in that, that I find it really exciting rather than the, like the judgment behind it.
1: Yes. And what you're talking about is like so cross-curricular in terms of that like cause and effect, you know, it's like data modeling or prediction it's math mm-hmm. it's, it's and also social studies like, okay this has happened. Is there a reason or is it just, you know, was the climate changing? It's just, that's magic. I love
2: that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's applicable to any subject, and just because it's just the mindset that I'm, you know, like my Mm. book and the work that I do is just really trying to foster a mindset and the garden is the place where that mindset grows and is being kind of cultivated and given the opportunity to experience things. And then it, after that, like it's all applicable to home life to social circles, to our environmental circles, it's just, it's the place where that is given an opportunity to grow.
1: That's really deep
2: and beautiful,
1: actually, you know?
0: It is, and it makes sense, though. I
2: studied poetry, so there you go.
0: Okay, that's a perfect perfect segue. Do you have any formal garden training, or pardon the pun, was it, did you come to it organically? (laughs) No. I had to, it was there, and I was like, I'm not gonna not say it. (laughs) Love
2: it. (laughs) oh gosh i'm trying to think if there's one that i can offer like cultivated yes i cultivated it in the field with other that works well yeah thank you (laughs) i learned from others um, Mm. this whole time you know i wasn't a formal education it was from early age and then and then by choice later on you know once i kind of moved on and realized the value of what had been offered to me i made that a priority I'm also extremely food motivated. So I think there was an element of that.
1: <laughs> Labrador, you know, just do all the things yeah. to get the food. So if you want food, well, I can get it if I grow it.
2: Yeah, exactly. And so then it was a matter of learning from farmers and taking kind of, you know, internship and education experiences. I worked on a vineyard. I worked any farmers markets, anywhere that I could get that kind of experience of being in the food system. And then I learned from teaching. And when I was working as a garden coordinator, that's when I think I I really dove right into the gardening aspect. And since then, it's just you know flourished.
0: Yeah. Well, I have a drama degree, and I've worked in environmental education right from day one. So there you go.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're using our skills. Right yeah. What we're Unexpected ways. It's awesome.
0: So, what's your garden like now? This could be like a whole new episode, I realize. so <laughs> but yeah, Give listening. us a snapshot.
2: Um, so right now, I've inherited a garden at the place that I'm living at. And it's. I'm looking mm-hmm. at it now. It's very symmetrical, Ooh. which there's a little bit of an anarchist in me that's like, we're going to mess it up. We're
1: going to see what <laughs> happens. <love> <laughs> no, see, I like the squares, perfect edges. Oh, you do. Then the world won't explode. Everything has to line up. <laughs>
2: yeah i am i'm the exact opposite when i was working as that like gar- at the garden coordinator i made the kids purposely put a square bed that like in the diagonal yeah and they had that same reaction just
0: rabble.: like, oh, everything. Yeah, I'm, I'm twitching
2: wrong. a little bit
1: um <laughs> but that's powerful isn't it like potentially having to relinquish control because the garden does what it wants and the animals that live in there do what they want so set them up for success that things are going to be wild
2: Exactly. And that's where those niches like niches, exist. And so we're creating relationships that are for observation. So you try different things in different patterns, different ways, and then you see what happens. I just, I love that. I love just kind of putting things down and being like, okay, let's just, let's just see what happens here. So my garden is kind of a mix right now of herbs and perennials. It's a little too symmetric, but I'm just kind of getting an eye for it. And it's mostly for pollinators. Yeah. Awesome. And then I'm going to have a few container plants for, for my annuals, but then I'm also really fortunate because I work at the local high school and they have a beautiful greenhouse. So I have access to some all season kind of growing conditions and it's very lovely.
0: Do you do veggies in there? Mm-hmm. Nice.
2: Yeah. We do a lot of greens. Um, and there's actually a local farm that is here and, and very successful too. So they do a lot of vegetables as
1: well. Yeah, I man, making me hungry. I
2: know, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all um, healthy stuff though. So we're yes, gonna... of
1: course, exactly.
0: Hey there, folks. This is Ian, one half of the Earthy Chats host team. I'm just here to let you know about the Talking with Green Teachers podcast, produced by Green Teacher. If you don't know who Green Teacher is, we are a nonprofit network of environmental educators all around the world. You can join this network for only $32 a year. That includes a subscription to our quarterly magazine, which has been running in North America since 1991. All proceeds go back into the organization to help us enhance environmental literacy among young learners. For more information, check out greenteacher.com. You can find Talking with Green Teachers wherever you get your podcasts.
1: So in the book, you know, it's got garden in the title, but in my reading through it and looking at it and devouring it, actually, um, mm-hmm. there's, there's biology, there's like ecosystems, ecology, renewables. So where's, what's the actual gardening bit? Mm. Or is it all the same thing?
2: Yeah, I love that question. I mean, gardening is, it's the activity where all those conversations take place. Like gardening is the opportunity to make those connections and to have those conversations. So, you know, there's so many, there's so many curriculums and, and there's just, they're, they're lovely um, because they're getting kids outside and in the, which we know is, you know, one of the most valuable things for a child to do in this, but they're kind of just standalones. It's like, well, here's a nice little sequence of these many activities, but what I really wanna have are the conversations where gardening is the activity, but then it's the introductory sort of conversation of, you know, getting kids involved, getting them to to realize what they know, to have these conversations, and then do the activity, and then come back, and really reflect on what does this mean in the larger, like what is the why mm. behind this? Mm. And even now, you know, working at the high school, so many kids are like, "But well, why?" Like, they want they they're thirsty to understand the purpose behind what they're doing. And so the gardening of like planting you know, garlic, you know, the seasonality of things, the seed saving, the mulching, the preparing the beds for winter, that's all, the, all very important in fostering that, that sense of connection to land, but it's also the space where those larger connections to systems and ecology and social ecosystems and climate change, that's where
1: it all happens. Wow. Yes. All of those things. Yes. Um, and, and I see that, I see that with the kids, um, when we're out there and we're looking at things growing and my garlic actually is like 30 centimeters. And for the first time last year, I did garlic scapes where, you know, you take it and make a pesto Mm -hmm. and, and just like how one thing can be so many things. It's not just like, we're going to plant this thing and watch it grow. And how many leaves does it have and what shape mm-hmm. is it? It's just, there's so much more emotion connected to it and mm-hmm. nothing. My, I've got like three kids that live and we share a fence and they came and planted my sunflowers with me and then came back into the garden to watch the birds annihilate the sunflowers <laughs> and, um, <laughs> And then, you know, it's just, I don't know, it all just leads into another adventure and another landscape of learning. And that makes me so happy.
2: I love that. Yeah. It makes me think of the what if, like, and then what if, and then what if, and then what if.
1: And that's how you get their brains to expand and how you actually get them to like critically think from a very mm-hmm. early age, right? Is they're developing their own sense of answering their own questions or mm-hmm. asking. Where can I find that information rather than just it being dictated to them? It's very cool. Is this part of what you call in your book, like the garden culture? Like, is that what what you just sort of explained there? Is that what that means to you? I think so. Cause
2: what I was hearing from you too, is like, there's a story. Like now you have a story about the sunflowers with your neighbors, Mm. children and the birds. And so there's all these different relationships and connections that are happening. And that's what I think of when I think of garden culture is like the culture is built through relationships. And it's the stories that we tell about those relationships. And it's the way that we celebrate those relationships and those events and those different, you know, non-human, human human interactions. And so, yeah, that's what I think of when I think of cultures, I think of storytelling and celebration. And it's the way those stories are shared with other people, the way that you're sharing them with me now. Like now I get to be a little bit of part of that garden culture that you just shared. And that's how we, that's how we create (laughs) it.
1: beautiful i think that like my garden growing up was all more about flowers than growing food but it was a weekly ritual that i would go with my mum and my grandmother to the garden center and we would go and sometimes we wouldn't buy anything but we would just go for hours and just look at things and touch and mm-hmm. look at the colors and now i live on the other side of an ocean from my mum and still almost every single one of our conversations is oh the tulips are out I take her outside and I show her the tulips have come out and the crocuses and, um, and the fact that my monstera is enormous inside, even, you know, I have an indoor garden as well to oxygenate my hair, but those like that connection to growing has grown, you know, my sense of self as well through life. So I really deeply connect with what you've what you're doing
2: yeah well and and you bring up the beautiful intergenerational aspect of gardening is that i I feel like very few people don't like that there's just there's all these stories that can be shared between different generations whether they're family or friends or community members and gardens community gardens children's gardens even just a container with an interesting plant like it brings out those stories i think of the book seed folk uh
1: if you've ever read that i writing it
2: down there. yeah he's nodding his head yeah it's um and it's so much about all those stories that bring people together and create a sense of community and so even though you're not with your with your mother like it's alive and it's building absolutely yeah
0: i feel like we would all make for very good hobbits and <laughs> that's a compliment that's definitely a compliment yeah. because they are fascinated with things that grow i don't <laughs> know the page number but that is a quote from mr tolkien
1: i also have quite hairy toes. and they do
0: they do it yes they have fairy toes <laughs> and, and they I like don't storytelling. Want
2: to a hole under the ground you just yes. said my dream
0: uh, you mentioned about children and I know your book covers uh, kindergarten to grade eight how how successful are the the younger children the K to say three uh, getting to the finish line and following through with their work
2: well the younger the grades definitely the more directive um, instructional it can be, you know, and I've worked with kindergartners. There's a lot of buildup to actually going out to the garden because so much is the mindset, it's behavior based. And so yeah. there's a lot of directive that needs to happen, um, directive instruction that needs to happen with that to to get children to the place, to be successful, um, and to kind of follow through on those behaviors. So that's that's been my focus is like K one is really focusing on behavior. And this is how we identify things. This is how we treat this is how we practice the garden behaviors of care for self, care for others, care for the land. But then once they get that, it's really remarkable to see them take ownership of it. And by second and third, not only are they really practicing it, but they're also kind of monitoring and <laughs> they're almost like a little zealous about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You like, know the rules. These are the rules. This is what you do. This is how we treat them you know, the birds and the insects and the plants. And, and so when they're given that foundational instruction and it's just, they, they end up taking it and then just going even farther, kind of beyond my control. And so follow through wise, like it's, it's a slow process, but then the payoff is great. And what I have found when I was working at that K through eighth charter school um, for example, as the garden coordinator, I worked with students from like my first grade class was remarkable because I worked <laughs> with them for five years from first grade to sixth grade. And they had weekly instruction with me for That's five
0: amazing. years.
2: Yeah. And it was just to see their, the way that they they flourished in that and the way that they took ownership of not only the garden space, but their own behaviors and the the way that they built that culture, like it, it mattered to them. And by the end, follow through wise, like I had complete faith. Like it wasn't even about, are they going to finish the projects or are they going to care? It was like, they were the ones instigating the change. I was just the one providing good resources and maybe a little bit of a reminder of how deep to plant seeds or how to do certain things. And then they were the ones going off and doing that. So it was a rare experience to see That change over that time. But I think that was the moment when I was like, oh, this works. This really Uh works. (laughs) (laughs) I believed it did, but it's actually happening.
1: I
0: see it. Were there any particular success stories within that group? I mean, individual students maybe who really had a, I'm thinking in storytelling terms here, had a, a strong character arc, so to speak?
2: Yeah. Oh my gosh. So many beautiful characters. Yeah. Gosh, you know, there's like, there's just so many beautiful things. You know, there's one of the things that I would teach my students was really trying to make a conscious decision when they encountered insects. And that's really okay. difficult for some, for some students, because maybe they have certain reactions to to dirt or bugs. And that's very understandable. But I, I I really wanted them to get to a point where they were making a conscious decision about their reactions. And so we we talked a lot about, you know, screaming or those those little kind of flinches or, and I I think it took a long time for them to kind of practice that or see things in new ways and have those conversations. But I remember there was one student who I worked with when he was in about second grade. And then when I left, he was in seventh. And so it took some time, but these conversations of understanding, particularly like pollinators and wasps and bees, the differences. Stingers yeah the stingers and the species and and just trying to understand them and there was actually two students the older student the one who this particular one i remember teaching a class i had this little greenhouse i was teaching in and i sent all the kids off to do their activity and he was still standing there and he kind of had his arm awkwardly out the greenhouse door and i was like buddy like why don't you go join he's like i'm just waiting for her to leave and it was a honeybee and it was just walking all over his arm And part of me, the safety part was like, Oh my gosh, where's the epi pen? Okay, we need to like don't let his mom see this. Like we need to (laughs) figure out a plan. (laughs) But the other part of me was just amazed that he was just like, I'm just waiting for her. And he was so calm and he had kind of like removed himself away from the busyness of everyone else. So she could,
1: you know. What a gentleman. Yeah. Chivalry isn't dead. This lady must walk upon mine arm and I will wait until she has finished.
0: Ooh, very nicely done. It's
2: just so beautiful to see it in action and in a way that I never would have expected nor asked him to ever do. But that was his interpretation of what it meant to care for other things and to be respectful.
0: And, you know, I think it's a reminder also that most pollinators won't sting unless they're covered up. -hmm. And, you know, if you swat at it and it gets under your hand, then it's going to sting. Yes, there are some cases where maybe it gets underneath your sleeve and it gets scared and it stings, but just, you know, open palm. I mean, I've seen people put sugar water in their palm and the bees come to it and it's great. So, wow. What a neat anecdote that is. That is fantastic.
1: All of the resources featured in this podcast, plus many more for students and educators alike can be found online at the Outdoor Learning Store. Visit www.outdoorlearningstore.ca to view what's on offer. From waterproof notepads to binoculars and dip nets to sit pads, the store has you covered to take your learning outside. In addition, there are educator resource books to help you take your outdoor education to the highest level. That's www.OutdoorLearningStore.ca We're Canada's non-profit resource store. We are the Columbia Basin Environmental Education Network or CBEEN. You can visit our website at cbeen.ca We are the Regional Network for Environmental Education in the Columbia Basin, supporting a community of engaged and effective environmental educators by connecting them to resources, information, professional development and networking opportunities.
0: I know you touch on uh, the equity piece a lot in the book and obviously different people have different access to space so uh, what are some things that can be done for those who have either limited access to space or maybe don't have any space beyond just pots and a balcony
2: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that was a challenge that i was happy to apply to this book i was looking at each lesson and trying to think of how can it be accessible to people who have access to land or sun who don't have access to that who just you know they have the inside of a classroom or a kitchen or a window seal and what does that look like and so i tried really hard to make these lessons applicable some of them you know there's there's opportunities to think about rain gardens but in a small space and there's just again so many opportunities for metaphor to still learn about gardening while also being inside and so even just growing seeds in a windowsill, in a pot or in water, that's where those opportunities to foster that scientific mind, that mind that's focused on wonder, that's where it can happen. It's just in those little spaces. You know, a lot of times with communities that want to start gardens, they think beautifully and so big about we want this and we want this and we want this. And it's so wonderful to have those large visions. But the reality is like just a, a bucket with soil for the first year like just something small just to get it started is enough to create that experience for students and yeah so i think like dreaming big and like starting small is definitely the most manageable way one school i worked with their class they had so many try trials and fails and and struggles with this garden space that their goal was that each kid was going to plant one seed that year that was their goal and I was like well we can make that happen and and they and we can celebrate
1: it yes one one is an approachable number
2: yes it is
1: talking of you know that growing and you said it can be done inside or outside but like how often are you expecting teachers to use this curriculum and you know potentially go outside is this is this a weekly thing is this a once a month or Cause it goes through the whole seasons. It follows the, the, there's nature changes through the seasons, which I adore and is integral to the success of, of a growing ecosystem. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And starting with the fall, most people think of starting gardening in the spring, mm-hmm. but in my book, it starts in the fall when you start to save seeds and things are wrapping up because that's also the school system that I've been involved in. And so thinking about that, that kind of, that shifting a mindset shift of like, okay, we're, in, we're starting with the fall, things are shutting down, but there's all this activity. And then moving from winter to spring. But you know, I, there's so much on teachers' plates and educators and homeschooling and parents. There's just so much, and especially now more than ever, mm. the balance. And so I wanted to respect that by offering just small things each week, 30 minute, 45 minute, just once a week. Just to 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 be able to to have that experience and for teachers to have that experience, while also feeling completely manageable with all the other pressures that they balance.
1: Yeah, and the way the book structured is really, you know, it makes sense and is sort of easy to follow. It it really it sort of gives it nicely. I feel you know on a plate like here's a lesson. You don't have to like really it you know here it is. This makes sense. Go forth, and obviously you can interpret that, but it just um. I don't know, if I was reading it, like, yes, this will work. <laughs> this will work.
2: <laughs> Yay, thank you. Yeah, I'm so happy to hear that because that was the intention was, like, these these aren't pages of information. This is, like, a couple paragraphs, a couple keywords, a few resources, and then make of it what you will. Like, here's a good foundation. Here's a place to launch. And then create what it is that you need in that time because everyone's needs are so different, and so... I want to respect that difference and just to like here's a little support here's a little help yes exactly it,
1: it does feel like that and i think what i love as well this whole pandemic seems to have shifted the mindset that, that some of us have known forever is that when you go outside it's not a break from learning. It's Uh not like, Oh, we're just going to go around and hit each other with sticks. It's, it's a, it's a different type of learning. It's a a thing. And talking about to fall, um, I do this activity called Bud Buddies, where we talk about the fact that in fall, all the buds are actually formed on trees, but it's only, and I do like this dance. I make all the kids act like the sap being lifted up. When the sun comes out, we get more sunshine hours and that, you know, energy drink of sap gets energized with sugar and lifts up and then the buds can break open. You know that transition starts way before things look pretty. when things look kind of dead and boring. there's all sorts of stuff happening It's still very exciting so that it's lovely. <laughs> nobody can see, but I'm doing a lot of hand waving um Love it. and uh, that sort of thing but you you use a lot of like key vocabulary in the book that for me is is not you know just garden related. So do you feel like this book as well? taking into account that the learning outside is still learning that this is quite a cross-curricular curriculum yeah i like that (laughs)
0: Slick.
2: i mean that's my hope you know it was it was born from my experiences and farms and gardens but it was also deeply inspired by a fantastic team of educators that i worked with and collaborated with and so much of that was just approaching them and saying okay what are you doing and how can i make this also gardening and so when like our fourth graders at one point at this particular school were studying electricity i took them out to the compost bin as sort of a metaphor about energy transfer and then when they were learning about simple machines in third grade i was like well we have all these gardening tools let's talk about fulcrums let's talk about like the way that we use our bodies and tools."
1: i just love it i love it so much it's so enriching it's so enriching Mm -hmm. That, that works. And, and then everything, like you said, is connected. It's not just about us and nature connecting, but everything in their lives becomes problem solving.
2: Yeah, and I would hope that this book isn't just like, oh, we have a, a garden teacher, we have a garden program, or somebody wants to teach gardening. I mean, I would love, you know, here it is like, great, that's why it's there. But I would also love for a math teacher or an English teacher to be like, you know, I want to try something because it's that creativity. It's that storytelling that happens between the activity and the connection like that's i just think that's a beautiful opportunity and a lot of teachers are very exhausted and um it's it's difficult to do that so i hope that it offers a little bit of that
1: that connection whatever that it does, it does. <laughs> um, fact period fact. Oh. moving into the future
0: the future and we're going to be looking at the positive aspects of the future i mean the low-hanging fruit there goes another garden pun uh, well, we're imagine that low hanging fruit is a, a grape of some sort.
1: There's got to be like a, like a, we're making like a cross yeah, a t- a checklist tick. every time someone yeah. does a gardening food growing pun. And Ian is there's so winning. many.
0: There, there are so you many. My
1: game. Ooh.
0: Yeah. So, do any of the discussions, particularly with older students getting getting into middle school, does climate change come up as you're looking at things like? longer growing seasons or particularly dry years or, or more extremes or, or is that something that you have to sort of initiate in discussion?
2: I wanna say yes and both. Like, like it's mm. some of the schools I work with have already had that part of their curriculum um, talking about climate on a global scale but then also relating it to what's actually happening. And some it's just not, it's not quite there. It's where I would like to see my work progress Like the question that's on my mind right now is how do we teach children about the our changing world? Not just it used to be climate change in my mind, and Mm -hmm. now I'm thinking just this pandemic, biodiversity, Mm -hmm.
0: yeah.
2: Yeah. So umbrella term: how do we teach children about our changing world in a way that develops agency rather than apathy and a sense of capability to address and those problems and create the solutions that we need. No, I, I remember as a child learning about deforestation in the Amazon rainforest. Yep. And yep, you're just like, yep, we all yep, like yep. <laughs> check that good. one off the box. Yeah, that's and it. Was it. Really and it was, but I remember feeling hopeless and also it was distant. And I didn't really feel an emotional connection to it. Mostly because I was so overwhelmed by the scope of it, and I think I was yeah. I was given the solution. Well, like stop eating palm oil. Like, okay, I can do that. Yeah. Or like supporting that, that industry that's destroying you know these rainforests and I remember the orangutans. Like, it was just so sad. In the
1: pictures. There's always yeah. the pictures of the yeah. desperate looking orangutan, which is real, but it's devastating.
2: It is. It's it's devastating on a scale that even as an adult, it's so it's so hard to swallow. Mm. So as a child, to be exposed to that is important, but to not be given the opportunity to make a change that really feels meaningful to me, I think that fosters that sense of apathy of like, well, it's too big for me to address. And so I'm really curious right now of how can we use gardens and even planter boxes or outdoor spaces to give children the opportunity to engage with those conversations and those skills and feel like they're making a change. And I, I think that's where the local comes into play. Mm-hmm. It's like learning about the global, learning about these larger things that are happening, but being able to apply it on a local scale. So I, I thought about my childhood, I was like, I, I grew up in Oregon, you know, timber is we're timber country. How valuable would have, have been for me to engage with the deforestation in my community and to be able to talk to you know, council people, business people to ask questions, to, to, to feel like I was actually making a change on that level, or at least being able to be heard, to know what my options are, to, to learn about carbon sequestration, to, to do all of yeah. these larger things. And to ha- I think that's, that's where I'd like to see things going for our older students is to be able to engage with those l- larger conversations, but also be able to apply them on a local level. So that they can then, as they grow up, make those huge changes that we really need. And to be able to be literate and articulate and the change makers and passionate people that we need.
0: And that aligns with the current research and the current scholarship on climate change education specifically. And you're quite right. It's change in general. But just in terms of the climate piece, which is something we work on a lot with Green Teacher, it's sort of the pillars are spend time in the solution space, be local, and get them emotionally connected. Mm-hmm. We know what the problems are. And if you're just like, well, everything sucks, good night, folks. <laughs> like, <laughs> good luck with that. Stop being so, palm oil. And
2: woo, everything will be fine. Yeah, so it,
0: that's really great what you're doing. And I think that transitions nicely to just asking what gives you optimism? And I think you've partly answered that. But in addition to what you've already described, what makes you optimistic about youth and their connection with our natural environment?
2: I think what makes me excited is how naturally they come to it. Given the opportunity, every child I've worked with, you know, some of them don't, they don't, they don't have to like it. They don't always like it. Sure. But there's always a place for them. There's always something that they are interested in and can do and they do just come into it and you know the social emotional aspect is so vibrant and I see them it's again that's that searching for the why you know, why does this matter and where do I belong and when they're outside or doing something passionately in the in a garden or just you know just being outside like they find those answers and it's very empowering you know I, I had a middle school class who I had worked with again for so many years and they were kind of done you know by the end of it that sure. some of them were yeah they they loved it they had their own garden plots and some of them were like i just want to push a wheelbarrow
0: i'm
2: that person i want yeah.
1: wheelbarrow races and they just wanted to
2: shovel for 45 minutes and move stuff and i was like great like if you yeah. if that's what you want to do like i will find the space to do that and there were some who only built bird and bat boxes the entire year, but I made sure to have the the tools there for them, and they made a lot, but they mm-hmm. had that sense of purpose, and it was something that they chose, and it ended up being something that they were very passionate about, mm-hmm. and they had a place, and it was something that they were they were kind of coming into. And so that makes me excited is knowing that there's a place for every child or every young adult to find something that they're passionate about and empowered by when they're outside.
0: Give them the tools and let them do the rest.
1: Stoked on Science, providing engaging educational and fun programs across the Columbia Basin. Is your school or organisation looking to develop your environmental programming, connect your outdoor time more deeply to the curriculum, or engage your students or teachers with unique programmes that go beyond the basic science topics, like delving into the history of the Earth, how it's changed and where it's going? If so, visit www.stokedonscience.com to connect for environmental education consulting or to book programs for your K 12 and adult professional development courses. Do you have any absolute standout moments where something sort of funny, uh, unexpected, um, or embarrassing sort of happened in the garden? <laughs> I, I remember again. I go back to my nan. She was like a big woman, like real. I think I think a polite term is robust. She was a <laughs> robust uh, lady, and we were playing cricket, which is like our version of baseball, but sort of very boring and slow. Um, and all any English people listening to this are booing me. But it was just my nan used to be the umpire, the referee, if you will. She would just sit in her garden chair and, and watch. And at one point, the ball sort of came near, and she flinched, and the whole sort of like. I guess you call it a gravity zero gravity chair now like garden chair just flipped and this like quite enormous lady just did a full backwards roll just flipped into the flower bed and was upside down with you know like roses everywhere and came out like studded with thorns and she was quite serious lady and everyone just sort of looked like waiting for her to like scream blue murder because she, she could do that sometimes. And she just, like, was the first time I remember my Nan like laughing with absolute wild abandon, just covered in mud and her twin set, in the flower bed, stuck with thorns and laughing as if nothing better could ever happen. And that was like pretty fun. That's wonderful. Epic. <sighs> it's still making me laugh now. And <laughs> I never saw her laugh because she was always really quite serious. And I'm imagining now, like, oh, gosh, she was such a character.
2: There's so many I mean, good lessons in that story, though.
1: <laughs> Enjoy. <And play> cricket. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, and I think that was a big thing as well. Like, everything was very neat and tidy. My mum is a perfectionist, and I think that's where I get the slight, the straight lines and nice corners bit from. But, yes, gardening is messy. It's never quite perfect. Mm-hmm. And it you know, things grow in weird shapes or things eat the leaves of the things that you really want to eat. And then you're sort of like slightly frustrated at those things. And then you realize that they are part of the ecosystem and they're actually eating the other bugs that would decimate your tomatoes or whatever. So it's quite as I am not the most Zen human working on it, (laughs) but the garden makes me more Zen for sure. Good,
2: good. Yeah, there's just so many just experiments and all of that and a chance to, and this is my lesson for myself every day is to take myself a little less seriously and to know that I'm not the focal point in the garden. You know, this, I am a visitor. I am a participant. I am not the controller of it. And so there's every year, there's so many things that go awry in my, I'm like, that that wasn't according to plan, but it's not really my plan that the garden is following. And it's, it's the plan of all these other things at work, you know, the weather and the insects and the birds and the soil. And so that's why I love that sort of just a mindset of like, huh, I wonder what's happening here. Something's gonna happen. Like, let's see what's, see what's going on here. I will say that every single year, and I inherited this from my mother, I will drop a pallet of tomatoes with their labels and then they get all mixed up. And every year, I don't know what I'm going to plant. And I have done plant sales with just mystery tomatoes for sale.
1: <laughs> 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 just... Lucky dip. Mm.
2: <laughs> I try as I might to very meticulously label all these things. At some point, it's, something's going to fall, they're all going to get messed up and I'm never going to know what's going to be next to each other.
1: It's delicious, to eat it
2: faith that something's going to grow
1: or not. Okay. Where, so we talked briefly about your garden, you were looking out and you said you've inherited ones, but of course it is sort of spring felt like summer today here, but spring moving forward. What's happening in your garden right now? Like sort of any tips and tricks for newer gardeners about what, what should be going on like parents or educators or just garden folk? What, what should they be doing? Um.
2: Right now just planting seeds honestly anything <laughs> um and planting different ones weird ones things like old seeds you know one of my favorite things is to take all the old seeds that I haven't you know they're years old and just throwing them down as a cover crop and seeing what happens
1: I'm oh, um, so brave <laughs> that scares me I'm gonna do it though
2: yay I encourage you. And then I would would also say just observe, like, what's happening, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, One thing I like to keep is a phenology log. um, And I just keep it on my phone. And so, like, when I notice, like, for me, the first day of spring is when the turkey vultures return. Because Uh they always migrate south to California or southern Oregon, and then they come back. And so, for me, that's the first day of spring because they come in on the winter. And shifts and like the warm air kind of coming up and keeping track of that. Like, what's ha- what's the first thing that you see here when you go, oh, like there's a queen bumble? Like, mark it down, you know, start those observations. It's so
1: much fun. Ian is like, I mean, he's going to be embarrassed, but I, I think he's a prolific artist and he only sketches animals as he sees them, but you'll be proud because I have a little nature book that I note things and I was listening to Robin Wall Kimmerer's gathering moss and thinking about the boundary layer and like lying down and seeing what I felt like and things and um, then I saw a chickadee it's the first time I've seen a chickadee in my own yard and I drew it I don't have it here I'm going to send you a picture of it and I drew it in my garden and Ian had inspired me to do that to draw things in the moment but I was just writing down as well like what the garden felt like in that moment Nice. and it was just you know I do a lot of stuff with the kids where we get them to have a sit spot and to just listen and be still. And maybe we give them uh, a thought to think on and I've realized I don't make enough time just to do it myself as a, as a person. And I've been really working on that a lot and it's, it's a pretty magical, transformative experience. Mm -hmm. That's exciting. And then I meet people and I get to communicate with network with people like you, who, are you know, it's all just an inspiration loop really. Mm -hmm. Which is really
0: quite nice. It is indeed.
1: Um, I mean, we're coming uh, to the end of our hour, um, sadly, because I feel like we could just talk Mm -hmm. about nice things all day. But I just want to reiterate that the School Garden Curriculum is an incredible book for both if you're in a formal education setting or as a parent interested in, uh, or educator or homeschool, interested in sharing uh, a love for the outdoors and science and and gardens with your youth. And it's available uh, now at the Outdoor Learning Store Canada's non-profit learning store I just want to say thank you so much this has been such a beautiful conversation and I feel enriched from it
2: thank you yeah I feel so inspired by both of you thank you
0: thank you Casey Ray
1: and uh, we'll say thank you and thank you for joining us for earthy chats and I mean cross-pollinating enviro-ed ideas I feel like we did that I've planted <laughs> a pollinator garden this year in a back underneath the plum tree and it's all wildflower seeds We collected from last year's sort of pollinator border that we did and sowing those was great. And then sparrows came and I was like, no sparrows, quietly (laughs) so that I didn't scare them away, but I thought in my mind, those are my seeds. And then I thought, actually, they don't belong to me. They belong to the ecosystem and sparrows will eat some of them too. I hope you have a lovely evening and uh, thanks so much for joining us.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much to both of you. This is just wonderful.
1: Thank you so much for joining us for this month's Earthy Chat. You can find the resources featured in this podcast at the Outdoor Learning Store. That's www.outdoorlearningstore.ca. You can also visit GreenTeacher.com for incredible educational resources and webinars, and CBean at CBEEN.org for a range of environmental resources, including professional development opportunities grant information and green jobs. Lastly, you can visit www.stokedonscience.com to chat with me, Jade, about science workshops or educational consulting. Tune in next month for more cross-pollination of ideas and another fun, earthy chat.
0: Seeds are just unreal. Like, how does a tree, how does a redwood or a sequoia grow out of a seed? That just, I need to, like, take a nap after I think about it. Like, when I actually think about it, oh, I'm just like, yeah. I need to, wow. It's so... Yeah.
1: Uh, All that genetic information and greatness within yeah. the tininess. It's so powerful. It's really powerful.